It's 2005, and the high-value target mission in Sadr City, Iraq, is underway. Tyler Gray, an assaulter on the Tier 1 counter-terrorism unit, is inside the house working his way slowly through the dark. Suddenly, there's gunfire in the hallway, followed by a massive explosion. Gray's body takes the bulk force. He's sent straight up in the air, hitting the ceiling and falling back down hard. From his wrist to his elbow, his arm is in shreds and his artery severed. He's bleeding profusely. Tyler Gray's life as he knows it will never be the same. I knew I couldn't go back. Changes your you just life. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. The only way we grow is by being repeatedly broken at a certain level. And the more trauma and the more stuff we deal with, the stronger it makes us overall. The night of terror in 2005 that nearly took Tyler Gray's life may have signaled the end of his career in the Special Forces, but it opened up a completely new role that he could never have imagined possible, going to Hollywood and playing the role of a Navy SEAL. Tyler Gray showed everyone that he was not out for the count, not by a long shot. He is now a producer and actor who plays Trent on the critically acclaimed CBS series SEAL Team. Along with other special op veterans, he's involved in every aspect of production to make sure it's the real deal, an authenticity that hasn't been seen at this level on television ever before. But it goes beyond just making sure it's a genuine portrayal of Navy SEALs. Tyler Gray and the production team have a bigger mission. They want to provide a platform where veterans' real-life, hard-to-talk-about issues can be addressed through the storyline and characters, in turn helping others understand those who have experienced the trauma of warfare. This is the remarkable story of how one man chose to overcome his obstacles and dedicate his life to helping others face theirs. So your your dream was always to work in the military and and maybe work in Hollywood as well. I mean that when you were a little kid. Yeah, it's I mean those are the two things I just had innate in me that I I I wouldn't say that I had a choice if I wanted to do them. They were just innate as long as I can remember. And now you're on like this big show, network primetime yeah. show and it, t tell us the show you're on, tell us your character. Uh, so the show is SEAL Team on CBS. Uh, my character name is Trent uh, Sawyer, actually. Um, and, you know, it's 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 one of those things, you know, you never never say never because it's just weird where, where you'll end up, where life will take you. And, um, you know, to be able to kind of merge those two worlds that I wanted to do as, as a kid, um, you know, military and entertainment and kind of show them together um, on primetime TV, which it's just, it's very odd when a dream comes true. And, and, I, and I say that it's so surreal. And um, I think about that every day, you know, I mean, you still got to show up and do the work and, you know, it's, it's still work, but there's those moments where I just kind of stop and go, gosh, this is, this is actually happening. You know, you're, you're like living out all these adventures and, and it's kind of weird that you, are playing out something that you did in real life. That does not happen a lot to a lot of people. Well, uh, yeah, I was burned on an observation mission in real life as a sniper team in Afghanistan. So now on 215, were we in Afghanistan? I think we're in Syria, but close enough. But, um, you know, on that, on, that, on that episode, I just remember, you know, and, and again, I try not to use, we're making a TV show, it's not real life. Right. But, but talk about while, method acting. Yeah, well, every right. once in a while, yeah. There's you can those, really draw on oh, yeah, something yeah, very yeah. real. I definitely know where to draw from. But it, it's interesting because it, it has to work as a TV drama. It does, if it doesn't work as a TV drama, it doesn't matter how, you know, how much uh, real life is put into it. It has to work on a, on a TV, you know, one hour network TV drama level first and foremost. Um, but it's interesting to be in those situations that I've actually been in in real life, um, or at least, you know, uh, certain parts of it are usually comparable. And it's just, again, it's surreal, but it's great to take that actual experience that I have and be able to um, insert kind of those moments that, uh, that, that I have real life examples to draw from. The audience is getting a real look because you, you're bringing that authenticity. 
to the, to the screen, but also to the story because you can say, hey, hey guys, it doesn't work like that. That's not how it works in the real world. You can say the audience need to see, needs to see it this way. And that's a unique opportunity. It, it is, and you know, the, the thing with SEAL Team that is so um, unusual, and, and again, I, I'm pretty sure has never been done before, um, you know, we have the most special operations, uh, uh, former special operations members of any, not just show, but any entertainment project I've ever heard of working directly on it. Now you may have, you know, a hundred people in a stunt capacity on transformers or, or, or things like that. But far as people that are involved in actually making the show, um, we have the most amount of special operations veterans ever. What we've been allowed to do by CBS and, and all the people, um, you know, all the executive producers from the top down from the very beginning uh, was be involved in every step of the way. So usually what happens is a show or movie, you know, it's written, it's done, and then they bring in a tech advisor or, or, or whoever. Um, who kind of just tweaks what's already being done. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's once it's written, a script is the plan you're making on the day you're making it's what's about written. executing it's executing what's already there so the fact that we are in from the not even the writing you know we are involved you know there's a seal in the, actually right now on season three there will be two seals former seals i should say in the writer's room so they are there not just writing they are there from the conception uh the the concept of the yeah. story and so it goes through them you know one of the uh executive producers that you know, created this show um, is a former SEAL. So you have at every level, you have filters of authenticity. So when it gets down to me, I'm kind of the person on set. Um, the fact that I'm on camera, which early on, like when we filmed the pilot, I probably at that time would have thought, you know what, it's gonna be better for me to be off camera to watch things and, and uh, you know, advise on that level. Now what I've realized being on camera is I can add authenticity or change things within the context of a scene. I can see how it's going and I can just do it myself. Mm. When it comes to the action, if I feel like something in the action should be done or there should be movement this way or whatever, I can just do it. So going back to when you were a kid, you're walking around the track, you're dreaming about the military, you're dreaming about maybe being in movies, being on screen, uh, where did you grow up? What were what were sort of your ambitions? What was available to you where you were? Like, what was the path that you would be following if you followed the path of other young kids That's where it. you came from? Yeah, it's a great question. So I grew up in Bakersfield, California. So from here- Which is here, what, like 60 miles away? Yeah, probably, yeah, it's about it's about an hour and a half from here. So okay. I, think it may, I think it's like 90 something miles. But um, Growing up there, you know, you had pretty much two paths and that was one was you joined the military and two was you went to the local junior college and, um, you know, from from there, usually the, the four year college there. So you end up in the, in the military. You must have been a good shot because when you went into the military, am I right? You, you, you trained as a sniper to be a sniper. They pick out the best of the best shots, right? So you we had. Yeah, we had a. Um, like a selection at the time, like a mini one uh, in range of battalion to go to snipers at that time. Um, it was a lot of things, not just shooting, but yeah, shooting was a part of it. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, shooting was one of the things I was good at. But. And, and the role of a sniper, uh, I, had a, I had a great uncle who was a sniper and I remember my other uncle telling me about it. it was He was saying it was extremely dangerous because he would have to hide away for days to get a shot, to get a shot and then try to get out. Um, he ended up being captured. But what was it like for you? Because this is something that you wanted to do or that you were sort of led to do. How did you end up? You know, I was just fascinated by all the different, I just liked everything. Quite frankly, what I wanted to do when I was in the military, I joined specifically to go you know, when I joined, I said, what will get me into combat? Now, you wanted this, to be in combat. Oh, that, that was my sole purpose. Now, the irony of this is I joined during, you know, in, in 19, uh, you know, 97 during, there was nothing going on. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm like, well, okay, theoretically, if there was combat, what would get me on the ground? Um, so, you know, uh, Ranger Battalion, Ranger Contract was the thing that 
got would get me into special operations if I made it. So yeah. that's what I joined. And then when I got there and I kind of saw all the different, um, you know, jobs, Sniper was one that was just very intriguing. Um, and, I, and I wanted to learn everything about every different aspect of, of, of kind of that world. Uh, what I learned with sniping was it's a, it is a freakishly complex, uh, what I loved about it is it's impossible to master. I don't care if you did it for 50 years, you would never. Because every scenario was just so different and you. Well, there's, there's so many skills. Like I'll give you an example, like long range shooting. Now, if you're shooting short range, uh, you know, one set of factors come into play, but when you get into extreme long range shooting, which obviously is really what sniping is, you realize in sniping what shooting actually is. It's math and physics because you're doing complex algebra. It's, you know, X or, you know, try and find X. X is the, you know, information you have to dial into your gun to hit, you know, a person or, or whatever. And you have to figure out all the factors and input all that data and crunch all those numbers in order to, uh, you know, know the information to put all your settings at so i i my grandfather was a target shooter mm -hmm. uh he taught me how to shoot and once i shot at 1200 yards in the new zealand championships with a 762 caliber rifle and he was able to coach me because i was under a certain age mm -hmm. and i was hitting the target and there were flags every 100 yards going down the target i had no idea how many calculations he was making to get the bullet onto that target until I had to try to do it by myself. Yeah. And you start cranking on, you know, 25 clicks to the right, then you feel the wind die down. And if you didn't, if you didn't take it off, the, the, the shot would go yeah. at the uh, other side. Absolutely. So it's, it's all that data. And, and then you learn, you know, so like wind, talking about wind, we wouldn't dial the, the wind in. So you dial the elevation in, but yes. the wind, you would hold it off. So you'd have to know when the wind hit when you a winds. certain wit, a way that that was when the shot had to go. Yeah, well, it gets even more, if you're shooting, just an example, if you're shooting a thousand yards, yeah, the wind at yes. you is different than the wind at the target, yes. which is also different than the wind in the ground in between. It just, and again, this, this is exactly what I'm saying. It gets, are, it gets infinitely complex. And, and you loved that? Did I, you? I loved it. I loved, I loved the inability to, ma no matter how much time I put in something, no matter how much thought I put into it, it you couldn't master it. I, right. I never got bored with it. Um, and that's shooting. The irony of, of sniping is shooting is one piece of it. Then you have the observation piece, you know, long range reconnaissance piece. You have uh, calling for, you know, you have talking to the aircraft, talking to the predators, uh, calling for mortars, you know, the, the radio, call, like using the cameras, using the thermal scopes. I mean, the amount of technology. Decision making now. alone, just like when you're going to actually pull the trigger and knowing what's happening around when you pull the trigger, what might happen if you, if it's better to wait until the car goes past because that car could some, suddenly affect the scenario. It's so, very complex. And, and to, to reference what, what your, it was your grandfather. grandfather. Um, so like back then, you know, most of sniping was lone man, you know, yes. single man sniping or single woman, uh, which was actually pretty common in World War II. But the now, like at that time, we, when I started, we started with two man teams and then we went to three. So you'd basically be a three person element. And you don't um, fire at the same time? No, you're actually three different people. There's only one shooter, uh, the other person's spotting and the other person's the team leader, which is actually what uh, I became. Um, you moved up the ranks quite quickly. Right? I mean, this was, when you went into this world, it seems that you just had the, you had the, the goods, right? You had the right aptitude, you had the, the right mindset to be a good soldier. It, everything comes down to, you know, motivation. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what your aptitude is if, if you don't have the level of motivation to, uh, you know, to carry you. And, and for me, I had the motivation that it was what I wanted to do. And I took it very seriously. And I very much um, put everything, I put 100% of, of uh, myself into it. And, and then, you know, on top of that, I, I definitely had an aptitude for it because um, again, I, I think it was a, a big piece of it. It was, it was what I always wanted to do. You look at uh, Michael Phelps is a good mm -hmm. example. You know, Michael Phelps, and it's actually been said, you know, the way his body is designed, he was born to swim. Yeah. 
Now, would he be a, you know, gold medal Olympic athlete had he not trained? Well, no, it doesn't matter how much quote unquote born to swim he was. So it's one of those things where it's a combination. And for me, I was training for the military every day as a little kid I'd go play guns and hide and seek and I was doing things I look at now I don't know how I knew what I knew back then but I just had an innate sense of what what it was I knew how to to bound I knew there was just I knew how to flank and I just understood that as a little kid and I was always training for the military even as a little kid even though that's not what I knew I was doing but then later looking back I realized it was always something that was just it was always in, on the cards it was always there and it's it's very it's very strange looking back now so uh 2003 i think it was you you uh were transferred to special yes. forces uh yes and and that's a big turn right the term special forces generally is used at to mean what it actually is special operations. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So special operations would be all of the special operations units for all of the different branches. Got it. Special forces technically would be Green Berets, but we most people say special forces and really mean special operations. Got it. Does, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And, and the reason I'm separating that is because it's important to make the distinction. People always ask, well, what's, you know, uh, what's the best of the best or 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 explain the, the different units or which one's better than the other the reality is uh, whether it's you know i could name all the you know you, you've got special operations you have a unit in every single service uh or every single u.s service the difference between them and, and people always want to rate them you know against each other but the reality is the term special is really the key Mm-hmm. Each unit is created for a special mission, and right. that special mission falls outside of the realm of what the conventional military is capable of. So each unit was created for a special operation, hence the term, and then that is what they do better than anyone. Right, and to compare one in the op- special operations and another is like comparing a, a top NBA player and a top NFL player. Exactly. Like- They're both very good at what they do in their specialty. But if you flipped them, they'd probably both they'd probably they'd be, be great to, athletes, yeah. but they, you know, they wouldn't compare to other, you know, top, you know, NBA players, you know, whatever because yes. they're not in their element. So each unit excels in their element. Um the the place I went to uh was a uh a, a tier 1 counterterrorism unit and its specialty is or was and is counterterrorism. You said that we were the terrorists, terrorists. So <laughs> you you created terror for the terrorists. I mean, you were their living nightmare. If we had a mission, we knew who we were going after. We knew they were bad. There wasn't a lot of question of, you know, hey, go do patrols, you know, and see what happens. Right. Like that happens. So Did you prefer that having a, a, a specific task, a specific mission, as opposed to just having a general mission of protection or what I wanted to do, what I always wanted to do was, um, I, I wanted to be the attacker, you know, special operations is an attacking force, right? You so want to be on offense. I want to be on the offense and, and, you know, like the conventional military, a lot of times is put on the defensive right? Or holding a line, holding or, a line or, or you'll be moving. And then if you get engaged, you can fight, but you right. can't and fight you, until you get engaged, which but you were going out on a mission with a specific task on hand as as an offensive we are we are essentially playing a role of the bad guys right we are raiding the bad guys houses we are hitting them at home before they go out before on their raid go you're going us. and raiding them exactly and so it was a very good feeling to be able to attack the attacker mm. or who we traditionally look at like a, a perfect example would be an ied maker yes well we're going and hitting so they're going and setting ieds and blowing up um americans and yep. ironically their own people uh which i never understood but you know they're they're doing that so we're going to hit them you know when they're at home asleep before they have a chance to do that look the the reality you know wars wars dirty you know wars war and the thing is is a lot of people say you know, you talk about removing, you know, the, the figureheads or cutting the head off the snake. At the end of the day, all wars are fought by people willing to fight them. It doesn't matter who the politicians are. It doesn't matter who um, the leaders are. 
no leader can wage war without foot soldiers. Hmm. And the reality is you have to take away, you know, it, if there's foot soldiers, you, you will not stop that aggression and you will not stop, that war will not end until you take away the, their ability to wage a war. And if you have people that are going and blowing up people, then the only way to stop them is to remove their ability to do that. And, and that's just the reality of it. And again, it's very dirty, but if you just, you know, when, when you logically break it down, you just have to, um, there's no easy way, you know, killing, killing a general doesn't destroy the whole army. You know, no. at, at a certain point you have to, um, you know, you have to take away their will to wage war. And that starts with the lowest level. I often wonder whether you have to be a different human being or tap into a different part of being a human being to do what you did. Because you have to kill without hesitation. You're in a different headspace, I imagine, than you are right now, for instance. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I, just, um, I just went back to where I used to work uh, last, maybe a week before last, and I haven't been there in... 10 years and um, saw a bunch of friends that have been doing it. Uh, you know, I left, they've still been doing it for uh, a decade. And it was interesting to, to, and they're, you know, they're my age and they're still doing it and talking to them. And, and, you know, I was in my twenties and they're still doing it in their forties. And it's one of those things where now that you're removed from it, you can look at it for what it was. You have the 30,000 foot view. And, and they're still in it. And, and the interesting thing that I realize now is yeah, there's there's an absolute major part of that job and that lifestyle that's, I don't want to use the word suicidal, but it's very much, it's, the only thing I can equate it to is, uh, or compare it to, I should say, is like a, you know, if you see really extreme sports. Yeah. A good example would be the um, the guys doing the, uh, the squirrel suit stuff. Yes. Like, they are absolutely, absolutely, unquestionably, really truly risking their lives almost every jump i mean and yes, they don't hesitate and are they talent are, are they good at what they do oh yes absolutely yes. but is that life risk there every single time of course um and, and, and it's very similar but that doesn't stop them from doing it it's just who they are and that's the best comparison and I that's not who you want to be now today well now I mean, I'm still stupid, if that's the question. I mean, I definitely still do things where I'm like, eh, I could probably be really smarter about this. But if you could be in their shoes right now, as opposed to where you are, would you want to be them right now? Sometimes. sometimes. So there's a certain amount of their lifestyle that you think, wow, I, I could absolutely slip right back into that? You know, I've, I've accepted the fact that had I have not gotten hurt when I did, I, I have absolutely no doubt that I would still be doing it. Um, what I've accepted also now, what I've learned is that job, that lifestyle comes at the sacrifice of, of and I won't say of your own, but of a lifestyle outside of that, for yeah. lack of a better term. It, it, it's, you can only do that job um, every second, every day that you put into that comes at the cost of your life after it. Yes. And it will end. It, it absolutely will end. No different than anyone's military service. I don't care if you do 40 years in the military. Well, you did 40 years and now you're out. Um, and so that 40 years in was basically 40 years put into, it's a life experience. But when you transition to the civilian world, you make no mistake, you start at zero. You start mm -hmm. over again. Um, and And you really have to, you know, people always talk about transition and, and reintegration, which, which I hate that word. And the reason I do is because I go, look, if you were never in, if you joined at 18 and were in for 20 years and you get out at 38, you know, well, you got to reintegrate. Well, you got to reintegrate, but would you call yourself a real member of normal society in high school? No. Hell no, you're a stupid kid. So it's like So now you're 18 again. <laughs> yeah, well you're you're in, you're not reintegrating, you're integrating because for the you've first never, time period. For the first time because you've never really been in what would be normal civilian society. You don't know what it is. Um, and and that's what I see with a lot of people transitioning is they're trying to go back to something but one of the problems is they've never really they don't understand what they're, you know, what it ever was because yeah. military service is all they've known. He said uh, a quote said it doesn't matter your level of training it doesn't matter your equipment the enemy has the advantage and you're in a bad situation um 
So that's what people like your friends who are still doing it in their 40s, that's what they're dealing with every single day. And they just, when they're in the middle of a, of, a, of a war zone and they're asked to go out on a mission. You know, somebody was, I was having this conversation with somebody about, uh, you know, medieval times or, you know, or Braveheart, let's use Braveheart as an example, you know, it's, you know, fighting with axes and, and, you know, it's two people, you know, hacking each other, essentially with axes, swords, same thing. Um, they're like, oh man, that's, that's ruthless. Like that's, that's, that's hardcore. And I thought about it and I go, well, yes and no. It, it, I want to hear this. <laughs> well, if you think about it, though, if, okay. if, if, if you and I are, are, we're enemies and it's, you know, you know, 1300s, whatever, for me to, for us to kill each other, I have to be this close to you. I have to see you and to be this close to you to cut you with the sword, axe, spear, whatever. Sounds like uh, Game of Thrones, right? Yes, <laughs> Game of Thrones, because perfect example. Yeah. But to be within that distance... I have to, to be able to, to do any damage to you, I am exposing myself with the same possibility. Yes. You can do the same damage to me. We have right. to be within- It's an equal playing field. It's an equal playing field. Whereas now, you know, we blow people up all the time from, you know, uh, uh, you know aircraft that have absolutely no clue that, that they're on thermal coming. image, no clue, absolutely right. no clue. And, and vice versa, you know, you're driving down the road to get blown up by any ID that you had no idea was there. And it was set by someone and put on yeah. a sensor and all these different things. Like war, in my opinion, is a lot more ruthless now because the personal part of it is gone. It's the person that actually is face to face with the enemy and actually sees uh, the result of that violence that actually has to, uh, it, it takes a human toll on them. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking that the the missions that you've seen, um, they're ones where you've had that personal connection, right? What blew my mind was the amount of like, every bad guy's got a family. That, that, that blew my mind apart. You know, you hit the worst guy ever and you go in his house and he's got eight kids and a wife or two wives and you're just, you know, you'd think that they would kind of be like You us. don't associate those two things. You just don't think about it. And then you realize, like me, I didn't have a family when I was in. I wasn't even, you know, in a relationship for, for most of it. So, you know, I kind of like was like, I don't want to have those connections while I'm doing this job. Whereas you go into, you know, Mr. Super Bad Guy's house and he's got an entire family in there. And, and that was that was odd. It's um, going to be odd, too, if you think that maybe if you were spying on him, you might see him dropping his kids off at a school and maybe he's affectionate to his kids and there's sort of a disconnect between, well, can this same person who's showing compassion to his children, who cares about putting a roof over their head and feeding them, can that also be the person that could cause such harm to others? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the fundamental thing that you also have to accept is no different than, again, in film or, or TV, and that is no bad guys think they're bad guys. No. You know, they think they're the good guys. So, um, and, and, and again, you know, I mean, I- And had, they think you're the bad guys. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I remember having the conversation with one of them. I said, you know, hey, I'm in your country, you know? I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent of, of like, you don't agree with it, you wanna kill me. I actually have no problem with that because at the end of the day, I'm in your country. If you were in my country, I don't care why you're there, I'm gonna try and kill you. That's the game and I'm cool with that. What I don't get is, why are you like you're you're blowing up your own people to try and blow me up now that i wouldn't do and that confuses me so um but and that's the weird thing about war in general um or even violence in general is there's a science to it there's a science to war no different than there's science to shooting um and there's a science to you know uh to violence and there's a science to just all these things even though the there there's so many negatives um you know, to be a professional soldier, you have to understand the science of war. You have to understand the science of violence. You have to understand the science of all that um, because those are the tools that keep you alive. And, and those were things you really wanted to master. And you, I read a quote where you said you really wanted to embrace all the hardest parts of it. Like you wanted to be the one that was put through the ringer, like crawling under the barbed wire and being shot at and feeling what it was like to be under pressure. You, you brought that on, right? I mean, you, you asked for it. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, um, 
you know, when, when I did it, it, it's one of those things where I, I think, um, you know, the way you grow, the way you get better, uh, just the way human beings are built, you know, you get better. Um, I used the analogy one time of, of if you're sword, like you, you just keep getting dipped in the fire and keep getting hit with a hammer and that makes you sharper over time Yeah, and harder over time. I mean, you can't, you got to live hard to be hard, you know, and, and you, you got to be broken over and over again. And, and the more things you go through, I mean, you know, you've done it. Like when you ride a hundred miles, what's 10 miles after that? Right. And then you go, well, what it's if all I a measure? It's all a measure. And, and then and you, but you seem to crave the idea of finding a new measure, like pushing to the next level. Like you, I, I was always searching for something to break me to which yes. I couldn't recover from. And that was my ultimate that? goal. Not yet. Uh, not yet. And, and don't get me wrong. I've been broken. Uh, I've absolutely been broken to my very core. In, in your training? Was that, um, or? No. What broke myself was myself. Um, failure broke me. Yeah. Where did you fail? Um, when I got hurt, I got, I got injured. Um, yeah, we want to talk about this. This was uh, on a mission? Yep, on a mission. Um, I got blown up. Um, literally blown up. Li- literally blown up. Um, and yeah, I got, you know, I was got evac and then I got uh, was in Iraq and then I got sent to Germany and then I got sent to uh, back to the US and and that was actually fine um, it wasn't it it, it 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 took years it took years for it to break me it whittled away um, and it was it was so even though you were physically broken you you mended physically but what really was broken was it, yeah, it was a combination of, you know, it's just like anyone, if, if you take somebody that's strong and, you know, remove one thing from them, you know, like they're in a relationship, they're, they've got all these different things, you take, you know, take their wife away from them, okay, that's going to mess them up, but they'll be okay. Well, take their wife and kids, okay, now that's another level. Well, now take their wife, kids, and job. At a certain point, if you take enough things away from a person, you will break any and everyone. I don't care who they are. Take the most strongest person in the entire world, they are breakable. Um, And the most breakable person is the person that thinks they're the least able to break. Um, And is that you? um, When you're used to succeeding and you have a failure that you can't get over, you just can't. Then what happens is the person, if you were used to failing, a person that was used to that would go, oh, this broke me. Well, not a big deal, it does happen. Maybe on the next try. But if you've never had a major failure that you couldn't overcome, you'd go, oh man, why can't I do this? Like, I, I, you're not used to failure. And what you're was it that you were it. feeling you failed at? What was the? Um, it was, I had lost pretty much everything. I had lost my job, you know, cause I got medically retired. So I lost the job, uh, which really lost me. It from, was your whole identity. It's who I was. So really, if you broke it down into one uh, sentence, it was, it was a loss of identity. I lost who I was. I, and I had no idea who I was without that job and without that life and without that group of friends and without that uh, That's what you self, woke up for every day. That's what I was. And I didn't know who I was outside of it. And that really, really messed me up at a, uh, at a core level for, for a while because it's easy to rebuild from a sense, you know, it, it's easy to, to, to start to put things back. But when you fundamentally don't know which way is up, which I didn't, um, that took me years to figure out. I just basically kind of was in this cloud of, of confusion and, and was distraught for, for several years, probably I'd say two to three years. That's a long time to be lost. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it got bad, and you know, and plus I was dealing with severe addiction to opiates at the time. Because of the pain. From the so, pain medication. So this injury, because you said it was a career-ending yes. injury. I yeah. mean, they literally said you cannot serve anymore. Is that right? Well, in, in that capacity, I got blown up, um, you know, and I lost, you know, all my extensor tendon. Like this arm, pretty much the whole thing was just shredded. You know, from here to here was, for lack of a better term, hamburger meat. Um, and, you know, this was all blown off. This was flayed out both ways. Bones, 
Uh, oh yeah, bones were broken and prob well blown out and broken in I think seven or eight places. I can't remember. Severed my uh, ulna nerve. Severed. I notice my... you, you you can't straighten your arm. No, right? no, it goes it kind of a weird goes thing. Okay. Um, but I severed. You know, the artery was severed, and I went through. It was a common. You know, a lot of surgeries, a lot of rehab, and then surgery, and then rehab, and it was a, it was a long process. Um, the additional layer that happened was at a certain point, I realized that I, it was going to take a long time. Um, and we're talking, I, and I forget who told me, I think the ther physical therapist, I can't remember, but it was going to be about a five to six year process of five to six years of surgeries and rehab. And then maybe I'd be able to go back to my own job, old job, maybe no guarantee and it was i forget the number they gave me but it was like 30 percent, something to the effect of so i had to make the decision do i stick around for five to seven five six seven years to then have a 30 percent chance. chance of going back to a job which by the way that job is the entire reason that i'm there I, yeah i simply said i am not strong enough to stick around for that amount of time watching everyone at that time deploy every couple months to overseas. And feeling itching like I, I want to be I, out there. I'm not able to do it. I'm not able to, I am not strong enough to watch them go for the next five years, you know, which they'd be gone probably three years out of that five. Yeah. And they're gonna go and they're gonna be doing what I've been doing and they're gonna come back and they're gonna, go, like, I can't do it. You, you, so, so I pulled my own plug. So I basically said, said I, I, can't I can't do that. Do I need to get out because- So it, you're, you're dealing with that and then at the same time because of the repair and everything you're taking yeah, painkillers. Yeah. I had never done drugs of any kind. So when I got put on opiates, I remember when I first got out of the hospital, I had no idea. I stopped taking my medication and I went into like really bad shock. I had to go to the hospital. I didn't know that it was, I didn't know what opiates were. I'd never taken them before. So no one educated me and said, oh, hey, by the way, um, this stuff is like mm, kind of like heroin, super addictive, like you yeah. could die. And people are. Yeah, people do die. Like I, I had no, I, I'd never even heard of the word, I didn't know what Oxycontin was. Right. I'd, I'd been sheltered, quite frankly. I mean, whether people. Your whole have, life, I mean, talk about a shock to the system, right? Yeah. I mean, your, your life literally just turned in another direction. You're yeah. on top of the world, you're the best of the best. You're. You, you, I'm sure you're highly respected by your by all the soldiers you're with. Second, and yeah. then boom, just like that, you're suddenly on a different path. Literally, boom. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, literally, boom. And 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 just so we understand the, the mission that you were on when this happened, what what was happening? What were you trying to do that day? Uh, it was a high valued target it was a nighttime uh what we call hvt high value target raid so we were just no different than i was talking about earlier it's right. pretty much what we did so, so you were looking for this going particular after a target. super bad guy yeah i was in the hallway at the time and i remember you know it was a big gunfight in a hallway um and i remember looking down it and then just i remember Boom. i remember the best way to describe it is i remember i remember feeling small the feeling of, of being on the receiving end of an explosion is unlike anything. Uh, and I've been near explosions, you know, hundreds of times, but like to be on the real, you know, recipient end of one, um, I just felt small within two minutes of getting hurt. I remember walking out uh, the, the house and I mean, my arm was, the fact that I have, and I've had multiple surgeons tell me, I mean, the fact that I kept my arm was shocking. It is a miracle. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely shocking. But, uh, but I remember walking out and I remember thinking, I'm definitely gonna lose my arm because I mean, it was hanging on by nothing. And uh, I remember thinking, well, I'm gonna lose my arm, but pretty much the worst case, you know, not the worst case, there's many worst case, but I'm like, this, this is bad. <laughs> you know, this, this is not good. But I remember thinking, it's not good, but I mean, I'm not dead, so that's good. I'm, but I remember thinking wow, you're that. you're in like, a pretty good place it, considering what well, had just happened. Yeah, but it's just weird how your brain runs, you know, a million miles an hour. But I just remember having that realization of, well, I could be dead and that would obviously be worse. So um, at least you got that going for you. you. You mentioned before that you got to this very dark place mm. and it was the injury that took you to that place. Absolutely. And then out of that, you've come 
out of it stronger, better? The deeper, the, the further down the rabbit hole you go to your own, uh, you know, down the own depths of your own, uh, it, it just, again, it, it gives you the ability to, I don't really look at a lot of things as problems now because I'm like, well, that's yeah. nothing compared your to this. Your measure of- Yeah, it's just like, it's not really, at the end of the day, you know, even something essentially, and again, I know it's a, a you know, a, a, I believe a Nietzsche quote, but it's like, if it doesn't kill you, like it, it really doesn't matter how much it breaks you as long as you recover from that. And every level of breaking after that is just another, you know, another layer of growth. And, and the only way we grow is by being repeatedly broken at a certain level. And the more trauma and the more stuff we deal with, the stronger it makes us overall. We all walk on thin ice and, and we can all do much more than we think we're capable of. And yet at the same time, we all have to realize that in a split second, you can absolutely be, you know, at your absolute worst. Dude. In a split second, your whole life can just be destroyed. Your whole life can be pulled out from under you in a, in a millisecond. The idea of care for what you wish for, right? You were saying before you went into the military, you're always looking for something that would break you and then you got it. I wouldn't change a single thing. I like knowing what I know. I like, it, it gave me a deeper understanding of, of myself, of life, of people, of relationships, of everything. And I, I couldn't have got that knowledge, that particular knowledge any other way. War is just an extreme, war is just the extreme version of life. Hmm. Yeah. It's life without rules. It's life without rules, without consequences. It's, it's, it is literally life and death. It's the extremes, the polar edges of life. So in, in your life, you, you wanted a piece of the military, you wanted a piece of, of Hollywood. And how do you then go from, okay, I'm broken. And how do you climb out of that and then make this transition to, I'm going to find a way to work in telling stories. I learned everything by making a ton of mistakes. I screw up so many things. I'm really good at failing and I'm really good at doing everything but the hard way. But that's why you're good at succeeding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, true. I, true. I, I often say this to people, you, you're you somebody who has never been scared of failing at things to learn things, right? Like you always wanted to try things. Yeah, absolutely. And a I, lot of people are too scared of failing so then they don't try things so then they don't succeed. The thing I learned over time uh, with myself was once I kind of started to realize that I needed to forge a new identity, um, and then I figured, I also figured out what my real problem was. And that, that was the key to forging a new identity was realizing that I didn't need that job to fulfill that piece of my life. Mm. And that was the key is I can still be that person without doing that job. And that was, that was a key turning point for me because then I had to associate what the job actually, like what it gave me. Um, and I kind of came up with this concept of what it meant um, and, and what it meant to me and who, who I was. And I now know I'm a person who craves chaos. I like chaos. I, th well, I thrive in War is in chaos, it. right? War is chaos. That's a, that's a definition. War is chaos. And, and, and what it takes to be good in war is you must be comfortable in chaos. In chaos. And if you're comfortable in chaos, well, then that means that you're uncomfortable not in chaos right with the status quo exactly so when things are when the environment is calm and serene which you a normal stir shit up yeah my brain is crazy but when the environment is going a million miles an hour i'm chill as cucumber so once i kind of figured that's the actual mechanism that that's that was the identity piece that's the that, thing you craved that's the thing i craved and once i actually figured that out then everything started falling into place and it started making sense and i could make a plan based on that um from, and you poured your heart out into these diaries right the, the video, yeah the video, video diaries? diaries yeah i did and, those and for who years. were you talking to when you were doing these like were Myself? you thinking of somebody? No, I was. You were talking to yourself on the other end. I was talking to my future self. I mean, just because your better self. I, you know, it's funny because I the person I've, you wanted to be. I don't know. You know, I just started talking, and I, I, I really, I can honestly say, when I made them, I did not have. Uh, well, I did have a goal, but I didn't really. I didn't like make rules for it. But I said in the video that I'm going to talk to myself because you're the only person that truly knows what you've been through 
Right. And who truly understands. And truly understands where, and, where you've been, where you're going. So. And was this, was would you say that that was the most therapeutic thing that you did in the Absolutely. process of coming back? Absolutely, yeah. So the diaries get out, like, publicly? How did they get out? Like Actually, the first, or one of the first people, I should say, I met in Hollywood, uh, this goes way back, 2008, probably, mm-hmm. uh, it was a filmmaker named Rick, Rick, Rick Roman Waugh, uh, who is a phenomenal filmmaker and who's exploding right now um but you know we met and started uh you know collaborating on different projects and one day he just called me up and said hey you want to have lunch and i met him and he said uh, hey i've got some time it was like a movie he was filming and a movie he was writing i can't remember and he said hey i've got some time um i've always wanted to do a documentary and you know the things we've been talking about we were talking about the script we'd been working on it for a year talking about kind of the things that i was you know, that I'd been talking about. And he goes, I think it'd make a really interesting documentary. And I, I don't think anyone has made a documentary about what you've been talking about. So I'm like, I did these diaries. Um, he goes, well, how many did you do? And I'm like, oh, a couple hundred. <laughs> and he's like, are you gonna give me the footage? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And he was just like, and then later he's That's like, like Dude, finding a treasure chest of it, old footage, right? Like, it, it really you're was. doing a thing about aliens landing on yeah. the moon. And oh, oh, I do yeah, have I think footage I've, of I've that. I've got footage of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally forgot about <laughs> it. Totally but, forgot. Yeah, it's really good too. So this documentary, uh, that which I love destroys me, that came out 2015, I think. And is it available now? I mean, we can. Yeah, I think it's on iTunes for sure. Uh, the documentary did very well uh, in 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 you know, in, in its feedback and just getting out no different than you said earlier. It's at the end of the day, it's just simply getting out a personal story of, you know, I can't tell you what it is for you, but I can tell you what it was for me. And hopefully that helps and applies to you in some way, so. I love uh, this quote of yours. The moral of the story is simple. Don't fucking quit, right? 100%, 100% of the time, anything less than quitting, uh, whether you admit it or not, right? So you just don't ever quit. And that's sort of been, I guess, your life, right? After you went through all of this, you just decided, I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna fight this all the way through and I'm gonna get to a better place. The effort thing I think is critical. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, 100% effort, 100% of the time, anything less than that is quitting. Um, and I think that's the key. One of the big problems I see is that people constantly gauge, um, factors they gauge time they gauge you know i'm going to attain this goal in x amount of time i'm uh, i'm going to run in this amount of time i'm going to lift this amount of weight whatever it is the only thing that you ever control is effort mm-hmm. everything else is a response to effort mm-hmm. so why is the work that you're doing right now with seal team so important to you and why are you so passionate about it? whether people realize it or not hollywood's the the largest psyops campaign in the world like it is broadcast you know everywhere i mean what we're able to do or, or and, and and i you know the whole team is able to do with seal team is we're able to show the realities of this lifestyle um and we're able to do that you know the lifestyle that i know and, and that all of us work on the show know we're able to show that not just to veterans um not just to the military but also to civilians to you know it's if you're not reaching you know, all three military, you know, current people that are in veterans and civilians, then that's only part of the message because it's not about just educating, you know, civilians on, okay, this is, this is what that job is. This is, this is how you're affected by it. And this is why you act the way you do afterwards. Um, it's also showing that to veterans and going, Hey, you, you know, you're creating, a, you know, a, 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 you're, you're drinking and driving or you're getting into a fight with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever because you're trying to create that chaos in your life. We can show all these different things on the TV show and put that out to millions of people um, and not just put it out to millions of people, but specifically on network TV, you know, on a message that will also reach people theoretically forever. It never goes away. It's an acknowledgement of who these people are. It, it's an acknowledgement of, of what the service does. Uh, and, and I say, when I say service, I mean literally what that military lifestyle um, or, or, or anything similar, but it is a, it's a lifestyle that basically 
it's a destructive lifestyle. It's the simplest way to put it. It's a destructive lifestyle that is done for a good reason, um, but it is going to, over time, cause destructive issues in your life. And then one of the other things I imagine that comes out of this is that the caregivers, the husbands and wives who are left behind, who then have to deal with this person returning, this destructive personality, suddenly they're able to have an empathy for this person's characteristics, right? Or their personality traits. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that we've tried to do with SEAL Team is, so as I've said, it's a destructive lifestyle. Well, it's destructive on the individual. And while you're doing the job, that destructive is used for a constructive purpose. But like as an example, for many people when they get out, they're still a destructive person and they no longer have that useful purpose. Right. So now... So what do they do with that? So what do they do with that? Right. And the government doesn't have a use for you anymore. So you, you've managed to turn your destructive personality into something constructive. Into constructive. But and the question is, what happens to all these people who are returning? Absolutely. And, and what's the effect, as you said, on the families? What's the effect on society? Mm -hmm. What's the effect on everyone? And showing that it's not a matter of... It's not a matter of, you're, you're not gonna fix a person you who's- You can't just turn the switch you off. You can't, it, the lion doesn't go back in the cage. It's, it's it, you got to realize that a person that does that job is fundamentally that way. You need to understand the reasons, you need to understand how it affects the family and how it affects society when you get out. And then everyone has to understand that what I've found for myself and what I think the characters on the show and what I'm trying to show other veterans is, it's all about finding that new constructive purpose to use, like I'm still a uh, destructive person, but I found a constructive purpose for it. Well, we're really pleased to have you here to be able to talk about your new mission. Thank uh, you. People can yeah, watch the having... SEAL team on CBS in prime time. Absolutely. Which is great, they can see you in action. and. We just have a couple minutes left. I have some questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you were to take a road trip across America, okay. you could take any anybody from any time in history in the car with you? Any time in history. Um, oh, okay, definitely Bruce Lee, major major hero of mine. Okay. Um, you know, people say he was a martial artist. He was really a philosopher, quite frankly. Um, I think Frederick Nietzsche, uh, again, uh, I was fascinated by his writings as a kid. Um, and ooh, who would the third one be? What about Sylvester Stallone? Uh, you know, I'm actually going to say the third one. I'm going to steal one my buddy would say, um, but it's a good one. That's Theodore Roosevelt. Good choice. Such an interesting person. I mean, what a life he lived. So I think the three of them together would have a hell of a conversation I'd want to listen in on. All right. We have one minute left, and that is what would you do with your last day on Earth? Oh, last day on Earth. Um... Uh, I'd spend it with my girlfriend. We would just, I would raid Lucas Ranch and take all of the Star Wars memorabilia. <laughs> I would dress I would, up in I full Star Wars. I would venture to say you will be disruptive <laughs> yes, on your I, last yeah, day I, on yeah. I will go to Luca, uh, Lucas's ranch and just... Be disruptive. Yeah, I'm going to find like Han Solo's costume and steal it. Yeah. And create chaos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm designed to do. Yes. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. it. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Cogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us and follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an IT, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter at Phil Cogan. See you soon.